So next week, next week, tomorrow morning I leave early, head down to Missouri. We're going to get in 20 miles or better tomorrow afternoon on the bike ride. And pray I can get my bike. I have to get some maintenance done on my bike. When we were riding yesterday, man, I was just kind of doing some creaking. It's this lower bracket. It's where your pedals are. And it has to be tightened up. And you kind of need a special wrench to tighten that puppy up. So um, hopefully I can get up to Shields and they can get me get that tightened up. So pray that happens. Um, so then that's uh, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. I come back Wednesday evening. Thursday I go up to Ellendale, North Dakota. They're doing their 75th anniversary, so I'll be up there um, kind of representing the Nebraska Assemblies of God. And so I'll be doing that um, 75 years. So, um, <laughs> but, uh, And then it's good to have Terry Roth here. So Terry and I were the same year at Trinity. He lives in Omaha right now, and he pastored in South Dakota. And then um, he's been involved in ministry in, in Omaha as well, and chaplaincy and other things. So... So he's been, he, you came on Pumpkin Festival last year, right? It was that in October there you came down. And uh, so it's good to have you guys, uh, have you back here. But we went to Trinity, graduated together, and uh, so it's pretty cool that he's here today. So, uh, so I'm looking forward to being back up in uh, Ellendale, North Dakota. I, it's been a while since I've been back in North Dakota. That's where I, I grew up in North Dakota. Um, when the mosquitoes were like really bad here a couple weeks ago before it really got hot. Remember the mosquitoes, were, they were really bad, weren't they? Yeah, that's the way it was in North Dakota. In fact, when we were at Lexington Sunday night, it was just like, I came back, I went for a walk, and I came, a short walk, came back, and I looked at my shorts, my shorts had blood on them, and uh, they were bad. They were just getting us. All right, so next Sunday, I will not be here. I'll be probably on my way back next Sunday. Um, Boo, yeah, okay. Um, I don't know what I'm going to do. I may, I may, um, where we pastored in North Dakota is Harvey, North Dakota, so it's about two and a half hours from Ellendale. I may just go drop in and say hi to some people up there. It's been a long time. Um, As long as I come back, okay. Um, But, um, so, your guest speaker next week will be uh, Terry Brown. He is our district secretary treasurer. And uh, Terry just has a wonderful ministry. He's technically retired, but he still stays very busy with our, our district activities. Um, he, um, he pastored many years in Grand Island. In fact, we got the Heath, the Heath boys here. And so um, Paul, I think, dated their daughter. Just a little bit of history there. So, um, so um, of course, we know that Paul ended up with Sherry. But, yes. Um, but yes, they were kind of the same, um, Terry's children are about the same age as Paul uh, and his uh, siblings as well. So um, so Terry will be our guest speaker next week, and he's going to be continuing on the book of Acts as well. And so uh, you will be blessed by his ministry. Uh, we're going to be in Acts chapter 20. So last week we, we talked about the big squeeze, right? And it is, we see this in the last part of Acts chapter 19. God does some incredible things in the city of Ephesus. Sorcerers are saved. People that are in idolatry are saved. People come to know Christ, not only in Ephesus, then the word spreads out from Ephesus because it's this commerce city. It's the hub of Asia, modern-day Turkey now. And so it just spread out to all these other communities. And some of those communities you see when you read the book of Revelation, the seven churches of Asia. Okay, Some of those Paul never went to. 
but the gospel is taken there because people would come to Ephesus, their lives would get changed, they'd come to Christ, and they would take the gospel with them. All right? And so, but at the, as Paul leaves Ephesus, there's this big riot. They bring him into this big theater that still exists today. The ruins are still there. And they're going to put, they want to do something to Paul because uh, it's the silversmiths. And their, their livelihood is being threatened because so many are coming to know Christ, they're no longer buying the idols. All right? And so uh, they bring in Paul. The, the riot is broke up because it's out of order. But it says after that, and so we talked about how this impacted Paul. It's not really included in the book of Acts, but in the book of Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, we see that Paul records in that first chapter, he says, man, we, we feared that we'd gotten the sentence of death. We thought we were done for, and we were pressed. We were stretched beyond our limits, right? And then he goes on to say later in 2 Corinthians 4 that though we are, we are hard-pressed on every side, we're not crushed and we're destroyed and... And uh, so it's a beautiful passage. So that's what we looked at last week. So then we get to chapter 20. And this kind of finishes up his second missionary journey and goes into his third missionary journey. The third missionary journey is more or less visiting the churches that had been started during either his first or second missionary journey. All right. And then when Terry is going to kind of, um, as Paul kind of finishes up here in the latter part of chapter 20, he heads to Jerusalem. And he knows that God is leading him there, but he also knows that hardship is awaiting him. And so Paul is going to end up getting an a all-paid-for trip to Rome. Amen? Man, how many of you would like an all-expense-paid trip to Rome? Yeah, it was as a prisoner, but he got, <laughs> he got it, right? Um, and so uh, Terry's going to begin on that part. So let's look to the Lord in prayer, and then uh, we're going to dive into the first 12 verses of chapter 20. Father, we thank you uh, for your word. We thank you that it is able to change and transform us, to renew our hearts and our minds. Uh, We just thank you. We praise you. We ask it in your name. Amen. Amen. Praise God. And Dale, it is really good to see you. So um, part of our youth group for many, many years, and yes, uh, helped me out in the sound booth. It was a great, great asset, so. Amen. Acts chapter 20, verses 1 through 12. So this is after the riot, and it says, When the uproar had ended, Paul sent for the disciples, and after encouraging them, he said goodbye. And he set out for Macedonia, so that would be towards Philippi. So that's kind of the, the route he would take on his second missionary journey. He didn't go through Philippi and Thessalonica and Berea and, and down to Athens and Corinth. And he traveled that area, speaking many words of encouragement to the people, and finally arrived in Greece, so Athens and maybe Corinth, where he stayed three months because some Jews had plotted against him. Okay, we, We've heard this story before, just as he was about to sail for Syria. He decided to go back through Macedonia. All right, so he goes back the same way he came. And as he was accompanied by Sopater, son of, oh, goodness sakes, Pyrrhus, uh, from Berea and Aristarchus and Syndicus from Thessalonica and Gaius from Derby and Timothy. There we go. That's an easy one. Also Antiochus and Trumphius from Phius. There we go. And then from the province today. These men went on ahead and waited for us at Troas. So Troas is where he would have the vision that would then take him on to Macedonia on that second missionary journey. 
But we sailed from Philippi, and after the festival of unleavened bread, that's also called Passover, it's roughly the same time when we have Easter. Five days later joined the others at Troas, where we stayed seven days. And it seems that God would do some pretty significant things in Troas if you kind of dig into Paul's epistles. And on the first day of the week, we came together to break bread. Okay, so break bread. So that probably included a meal, but it also included observing what we call the Lord's Supper or communion. All right. And Paul spoke to the people and because he intended to leave the next day, kept on talking until midnight. There were many lamps in the upstairs rooms. So uh, this would be Sunday, and he preaches through the day into the night. And it seems like they're meeting like in this third floor in this upstairs room where they were meeting. The windows were open, and seated in the window was a young man named Eutychus. And he was sinking into a deep sleep as Paul talked on and on. Okay, so there's a lesson here to never fall asleep during Pastor Brent's message. All right. And so as Paul talked on and on, I figure I, I see you have to see some humor in this that Luke even says this, you know, he talked on and on. Right? And he this young man, when he was sound asleep, he falls out of the window from the third floor to the ground. And he was picked up. What? Dead. Paul went down threw himself on the young man, put his arms around him. He says, do not be alarmed. He said, he is alive. And when he went, then he went upstairs again, he broke bread and ate it. And after talking until daylight, so he speaks the whole night, folks, he left. The people took the young man home and alive and were greatly comfort, comforted. So he gets on then the ship that go, takes him to the next place on his way to Jerusalem. So there's a few things that I want us just to pull out here, more or less behaviors of the early church. You know, we can say things are our priority in our life, right? Oh, this is a priority. This is a priority. But priorities are really established and witnessed by what we, what we do. Without even saying a word, we can tell what our priorities are. So if we took a, you know, they do some of those, you know, reality shows right and you kind of right there where people are at and you begin to see what people's priorities really are and so as we read this account there um there's some things that stand out about the early church so this is roughly about 22 23 years after the resurrection of jesus so some time has passed right and so it's kind of neat to go and look and say what was the church doing 20 Two years after Jesus was resurrected. Well, how, what, what were they practicing? So the first thing that we see in verse 7 is on the first day of the week, they came together, right? They came together. What day of the week is the first day of the week? Sunday. Now, the Jewish people observed Sabbath as Saturday, right? It began Friday night at sundown, and it went till Saturday sundown. That was a Sabbath. But the early church, these believers would meet on Sunday. Why on Sunday? Why did they shift? Because of the resurrection. Because of the resurrection, the pattern of the early church was to meet on Sunday, what they would call the Lord's Day. Um, And so they gave priority. So we see this 22 years later. They are meeting, they are gathering on Sunday to worship God, to worship in music. 
to um, study God's word and to fellowship and be together to break bread together as the church. You know, and it's, it's interesting even still today that probably the, still the, the day for Christians to meet is on what? It's on Sunday, right? So 2,000 years later, we are still practicing that. Paul will say in other of his letters that, you know, no day is sacred, technically. But still that Sunday, there's something powerful that we are worshiping on the Lord's Day on the day that Christ was raised from the dead. Um, and as during this time, then, we encourage one another, we study God's word together, we pray together, we worship together. Now, we each need our own devotional life, correct? Right? And we each need to have our prayer time. So that devotional life, I, in, in that I would include study of God's word and prayer. But we also need the larger body of Christ. We need fellowship. We need the community that can only be found in meeting together as the body of Christ. And so it's not an either-or situation. Some people say, oh, I am, you know what, I have my prayer time with God. I'm in His Word. I don't need the church. Yeah, you do. And there's people that say, you know what, I go to church, but I just don't have a devotional life. Well, that means you're going to get fed one day and you're going to starve the rest of the week. How many, would that work for any of you? If you, the only meal you had throughout the week was Sunday morning and you didn't have anything to eat for the rest of the week, would that work? No. It wouldn't work for me. I know that. Right? You would be skin and bones. And that is the same for us as well. That we, It's not an either-or situation. We need to cultivate our own personal relationship with Christ, which happens through the study of His Word and prayer, but we also need the benefits that come from being in the larger body of Christ. This is what Paul, well, we don't know if it was Paul. We don't know who it was that writes the book of Hebrews. One day when we get to heaven, we'll find out. But Hebrews 10, 19-25 says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Christ, by a new and living way, open to us through the curtain that is his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Verse 23. Let us hold unswervingly to the faith, the hope we profess, for he who promises faithful. Verse 24. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Now spur, that's an interesting word, and I've preached on this before. Spur really means to spur each other on, just like a cowboy will spur a horse on to good deeds, right? Sometimes we need the body of Christ to get, kick us into gear. Can we actually say that? Yeah, we can. We need to encourage one another, but we also need to spur one another on. We should be bringing out the best in each other, challenging each other, encouraging one another. Um, verse 25, do not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. So even back then, there was people that thought they could do it on their own. But Paul says, but encourage one another and all the more as we see the day approaching Christ when he comes for his church. Proverbs 27, 17 says, As iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. I have it in the men's restroom there, right? So if you walk out, you see it there. It is a very powerful scripture. It says that as one man, we sharpen one another. We bring out the best qualities to the surface. We need those relationships and we need fellowship, that uh, relationships that challenge us, that bring out the best in us that aren't just going to be people that we have fun with, 
We need that to laugh with. We need that to pray with. We need that. But we also need people that will speak into our life. And they'll actually say, you know what? Man, you haven't been in church for a month. Where have you been? Right? And to do it in a way that we respect, right? Um, Or, hey, man, are you doing okay? We need people in our life that have that permission to speak into our life. I hope you have at least one or two people. You maybe don't have a dozen, but you should have one or two people that can speak into your life and ask you the hard questions. Maybe it's a spouse. I always think, you know, spouses can fulfill that role, but I think we need other people in our life as well. You can say, hey, come on, get your act together, right? Spur one another on. We need each other. The early church gave priority to meeting together on the Lord's Day. Number two, but they also gave priority to breaking bread together. Breaking bread. So often it was a meal, but then they would, just as they did on that first Lord's Supper where Jesus took the bread, he broke it and passed the cup. and said, do this in remembrance of me. We need those times where we, on a regular basis, are partaking of communion. Why? Because it is there that we recognize that, you know what, I'm a sinner that is saved by God's grace. And it's only by him and what he did for me on the cross of Calvary that I ever have a hope of salvation because I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that as good as I am, I'm not good enough. We've all sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. It's only through Christ. And so it keeps that before us that it is only through his broken body and his blood on the cross that I have redemption, I have hope, and the gift of salvation. Uh, Paul will say in 1 Corinthians 11, so when... I talk about communion. Usually I go to Matthew 26 or 1 Corinthians 11. Those are the two verses that really give a detailed description of communion. Paul says, For I received of the Lord, which I also pass on to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup saying, this is the cup in the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For Whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Now, we're not told exactly how often to observe the Lord's day, to observe communion. Some churches do it every time that they meet, right? Um, if you're part of a Catholic tradition, even Mass every day of the week, they, that is part of what they do. Um, some every week. Um, most churches, I think, are are more uh, maybe a month, or sometimes it's less than that. Some churches don't even really take that serious, and some really put a high priority on it. But what we see in Scripture is that when you meet, make sure this is part of your gathering. And so we, we try to observe it on once a month, and that gives us that opportunity that we um, observe what Christ has done for us on the cross of Calvary. Amen? And we see that in the early church, and even still to this day, again, 2,000 years later, that is still part of God's church. Number three, what else did they give priority to? They gave priority to God's miracle-working power. As Paul is on his schedule, you know, he senses he's supposed to go to Jerusalem, and he has to get on the ship in the morning, right? And so he's with them in Troas, it seems like a week, but when he comes, they come together on that Sunday, he, he has a lot to get through. So he preaches through the day and then into the night and through the whole night, and he, he talks the whole night, and he gets on the ship in the morning and sh- sails off. He had a lot he wanted to pass on, right? 
But in the midst of that, here you have this young man. You know, there's a lot of miracles recorded in Acts. Chapter 3, we, we have uh, young ma- the man at the gate, beautiful, born, crippled from birth, and uh, they pray for him. He goes around leaping, jumping, and praising God. Um, it's an incredible miracle, but we didn't ever get his name, right? And then you go to Acts, um, um, where is it? I had it in here. Acts where um, you have the demon-possessed woman, and she, uh, she gets delivered from that. That's in Philippi, but we don't get her name. And, and often you'll see that so God did signs and wonders. We even had the one where they, they if they saw Peter's shadow and they, uh, they were healed or they touched the handkerchief that Peter had touched that they were healed. We hear of the miracles there and the church grows because of what God was doing. But we don't get a lot of names of the people that were healed. But in this account, we learn of a young man, maybe around the age of 12. We don't know exactly for sure, but he was a young lad. He's at the service. He's hearing Paul speak. And, you know, as many of us would have done at that hour of the night, our eyes would have gotten heavy. And he's sitting in this window, probably catching the breeze coming through there, right, and listening to Paul speak. Next thing you know, he dozes off, falls out backwards, falls to the ground, and he's dead. They pick him up. Three stories. And this young man's dead. Paul gets down there basically falls on top of him, prays for him, and he senses that life comes back into him. There's not a lot of details here, right? It's a, but it's a pretty incredible miracle. I mean, it's one thing to be healed of a cold or whatever. But to be brought from life to death. Luke was a physician, right? And so if anybody knew that somebody was dead, it was probably Luke. Um, I don't think he was just passed out. But he is brought from death to life. And then Paul, oh, he's alive. (laughs) Then what does he do? He goes back upstairs, finishes out his message, breaks bread, gets on the next ship, go off to the next place, right? But they gave priority to God's miracle working power. You know, they could have been doing a funeral the next couple days. Instead, they were rejoicing and giving God thanks and praise. They left with encouraged hearts, it says. They were greatly comforted, and they took the young man home. God's miracle-working power. His name was Eutychus, right? You know, and to this day, we don't know what ever became of Eutychus, but he had a story to tell, right? That one day, he was dead, and then he was alive. And it was because somebody believed in the power of prayer that he came back to life. The early church believed in the the miracle-working power of God. I'm going to have the musicians come. Uh, When I was driving back from Lexington on Wednesday, I was a little little weary. Um, It was a great retreat, um, but it's one that my team, the Healthy Ministers team, helps plan, and so uh, a lot falls on me, and uh, it went really well. I was a little tired. You know, the pressure was off, and I was heading home. And um, I was just reminded of uh, some lyrics of a song, sung by We the Kingdom. You heard of that group, We the Kingdom? They have a few out there. And they have one called Miracle Power. 
And I don't really care for the whole song, but the chorus is powerful. The chorus is powerful. So your assignment is to listen to it after church today. But the chorus says, I may not know what a day may bring, but I know who brings the day. And on the darkest night when I cannot see, still my soul will say, I believe in miracle powers and a wonder-working God. I'm filled with the Holy Spirit, working wonders in my heart. I belong to a loving Father. I'm a friend of Christ's Son. And when it feels like I won't make it, I call on Jesus. Amen? You know, that could be said of Paul and Eutychus. None of us knows what a day may bring, do we? None of us knows what a day will bring. It could bring victory. It could bring great blessings. But it also could be a tragedy, right, of life and death. None of us knows what a day may bring. But we do know who brings the day and that he's in control. And that we serve a God that still specializes in miracle-working power. He can restore relationships. He can heal. He can bring from death to life. He's in control. And I know some of us are control freaks. and um, Sometimes that which leads to anxiety. The more that we can trust God, the more that we can trust God and rely upon Him, that he's in control, um, the more at peace we will be in our lives. And so this morning, um, I'm going to have you um, come forward. We have quite a few here, but um, I'm going to—we're doing things at the end of the service. So I'm going to ask you to do it a little bit different here this morning. So you're going to come forward instead of going back to your seat. Can we just have you all be up front here this morning? And, um, and as you come, uh, maybe you need an answer to prayer in your life. Maybe you need a miracle. Maybe you need a big miracle. And so um, I'm going to ask you, if, if that, especially if you, if you would come in faith um, and just believe God that he's going to hear that prayer this morning. And, um, and we're going to pray together. Amen? And so I'm going to have those of you that are going to help with communion if you'd make your way forward. Um, it says in Peter that by his stripes we're made whole and we are healed. And so even as we partake of communion, I believe that Jesus is saying, here, I am, I'm present with you, right? That's what he says the night he's betrayed, he has communion, he breaks the bread, and he says, hey, the next time I partake of this will be again in my Father's kingdom. But they were around a table. It wasn't just a table like this. It was a table that they were reclined at, they were sitting at. And I, and I honestly believe, some traditions believe, you know, it's the bread becomes his flesh and the grape juice becomes his blood. We, we don't hold to that. We see them as emblems. But what I do believe with all my heart that these are symbols that his body was crushed and it was broken for my sin, my iniquity. And his life was given for my transgression. And I also believe that he is present here with us, having fellowship with us. Amen?
And he's here to not only save, but he's here to heal, to answer our prayer. And so as we partake of communion, would you come with faith and believe him for a miracle if, that is, if that's you this morning? So uh, we're going to sing this through one, one time. And then um, you can come and get the bread and the grape juice. They will hold the bread. So you just tear off a small piece. You don't need to touch any part of the bread. They'll hold securely to it. You take off a piece. All right. And then if uh, we'll partake together, but just kind of spread out over the front here. And then we're just going to stand together as the body of Christ. And if there's a need, we're just going to, we're going to, you know what it is. And we're going to pray together. Believe God. Amen. We clear on that? Stand. Let's sing this through once. And then uh, I'll instruct you to come forward. Lord, the, the bread symbolizes your body that was broken, that was crushed, that took the lashes on your back and the crown of thorns on your head, and the, the nails in your hands and your feet. The grape juice symbolizes your life that was poured out to us, that gives us the hope of salvation. But Lord God, it also just that, that power that is available to us who believe. Lord God, as we stand here, we thank you for the gift of salvation. We thank you for the power that is available to us, Lord God. And, and Lord, if, if, if we're here today and we just need an answer to prayer, whether it's a miracle, uh, answer to prayer, relationships, financial things, healing in our body, Lord God. Lord God, you know what that is. And we just stand here in faith. We thank you for your power at work in your church give you the thanks and the praise. We worship you. In your name we pray. Amen. Let's partake of the bread together this morning. Let's partake of the grape juice. Father, this morning we thank you and we praise you. And Lord God, we just come in faith. We are your people. And so, Lord God, we just uh, anticipate what you're going to do by faith. We ask this in the precious and the wonderful name of Jesus. Amen.